and I ask that you give us your wisdom and your knowledge so that we can store the words that you have given us in these scriptures in our heart and in our mind. Amen. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers of, over the works of your hands. Put every, you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, and all things that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, do you have your, uh, your paper and your crayon or crayons, or as my kids call them, crowns? Some of you call them that too, I bet. Okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you on your, uh, on your, your index card there, I need you to draw a box, okay? It, needs to be, it can be a little bigger than mine. It needs to be big enough that you can write or draw inside it. And you need to leave a little room on the outside edge so you can, can maybe write something there too, okay? So you need to draw your box. Does everybody have your box? You don't need to pull out rulers or any of that. Like, we're okay. Approximate, approximately some sort of a box. Okay, next thing I need you to do is on the inside, and you can write it. You can draw a picture, you can do it however your, your little creative or linear mind wants to do it. Uh, I want you to put just two or three things that you really like. Two or three things that you really, you like. You like about this world, you like about your life, um, you know, you like about the person next to you, you know, what, whatever it is. Two or three things. You can write it, you can draw it, you know, you could put puppies in there, or, or kittens. Um, you could even put things you don't like in there. Put, put one or two things you don't like, and do not put the person sitting next to you. Okay? Okay. Do you have your, your things in your box? Okay, we're going to come back. We're going to come back to this in just a second, but, but here is the thing. In your box, whatever you put, unless you put one thing that I'm going to mention in a second, just about everything that you could put inside that box is a created thing. It, it's your spouse, it's your dog, it's your job, it's your whatever. It's, you can put something in that box, and it is a created thing. Now, on the outside of your box... I want you to write one word, God. On the inside of your box is created things. 
all these kinds of things. We could go through, and if we had time, we could ask each one of you, what did you put in there? And unless, unless you put God inside your box, don't put God in a box. No, unless you put God in your box, then what you have on the inside is created things. God is on the outside, the uncreated thing. We're going to build a little bit on what we've been talking about these past few weeks. How, how if, if something is here, then there must have been an uncreated thing that caused something to exist. And now all of the things that we know and love and all of this kind of thing, those things are created things that we put there on the inside of the box. Some people will do this as a line, and we call this the creator-creature divide. The creator-creature or the creator-creation divide. God is not a created thing. And we see that here in our passage today in Genesis. You guys um, were so patient while we were kind of teasing with just parts of verses, and now today we're going to look through uh, the rest of the chapter and a little bit of chapter 2, and I'm, I'm going to skip uh, around just a little bit. I want to read enough for you guys to get the point of this. Genesis chapter 1, and we are going to begin in verse 3. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. But first, let's, let's pray. God be with us. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts, we pray. Teach us, make us more like Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And now hear this this repetition of this pattern. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So you're hearing here, and God said, and then it happens, and then God said that it was good. Now we jump ahead to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. This is on the sixth day, and God has already made the beasts and the livestock. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's Psalm 8, remember? You just heard that. And then at the end, it was so, and 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, it says that God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There is a question that very often comes up 
when we are talking uh, about creation and these, these days of creation. And the question that often comes up, whether it's with your friends or maybe you, you think of it on your own, that question is, well, how long were those days? Now, we talked about a little bit beforehand about this idea of how old is the earth and all this, this stuff around it, and, and I tried to persuade you that verses 1 and 2 don't give a timeline, and so even before we get here, even before we get here, you actually have a very broad spectrum of, of what Scripture allows us to, to believe as, as Christians. And then we get to the days, and people want to say, okay, so how long are how long are the days? And there are a few camps that people tend to go in. So there's one that says um, 24-hour days. Um, there's another that kind of uses epochs, like huge expanses of time per day. And then there's another one called analogical. That's, that's a big word, but it's just an analogy. The days are an analogy. So the 24-hour day is, you know, if, if God starts in verse 3, God starts and then you have a stopwatch and you click it, then at the end, he says, it's very good, and you stop it 24 hours. You've got that on your clock. That's how long the day took. Now, I will say, God is certainly capable of this, and so I don't, I don't have a problem with, with people that look at Scripture and they read it that way. It's a very plain reading of the text. That is, that is good. God is capable of that. Um, one, one thing that comes up to me is that if you take that same stopwatch and you get near a black hole, and then you start, you start clicking that, that stopwatch, um, time is going to go slower there. Time is going to change. And the reason is because if you were to take your box, you could put a little clock in there. God is eternal. He is outside of time. Time is a created thing. It, it, it is something that is a part of this world that we live in, but God does not change Time does not affect him the way it does us, the way it does other things in the universe. And if anybody knows what that's called, how time slows down when you get closer to a black hole, I have a free book for you. Does anybody know? Anybody know? Anybody want to make a guess? Oh, we got Alan, what? You got gravity. You got the first part. You, you got so close that you're going to get this gravitational time dilation, is what it's called. So, uh, Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly, one of the best books you guys could read. So, uh, gravitational time dilation is, is that effect that as you're getting closer to a black hole, time slows down. I don't understand it, but I, I read that phrase long enough that I would remember it. So, the other thing is the, kind of this, this idea that, that the days are, a, are an epoch. The days are this huge expanse of time. And, and really kind of the best way I can think of to explain that is it's, it's like this kid who is praying, and, he, and he's praying, and, and he says, Lord, um, is it true that, that to you a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day? And God answers him, and he says, yes, that's true. And the kid says, so, so Lord... Um, would that mean that maybe, you know, a, a dollar is, is as a thousand dollars to you and a thousand dollars is as a day or is as a dollar? And God says, yeah, I suppose that's true. And so the kid says, well, well Lord, can I have a dollar? And God says, sure, I'll give it to you in a day, right? <laughs> it, it's this idea that 
that the days are, are uh, yes, they're, 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 they're showing some sort of a sequence in time, but what the, the day is really there to represent is this huge expanse of time, okay? Perfectly reasonable way to read this passage as well. Um, you know, the scripture doesn't, doesn't push back too much against that. Um, it doesn't push too much back against 24-hour. However you want to read it there, you can do that as well. Um, I will tell you, I lean towards this idea of analogical days. Um, analogical days basically meaning that this is a pattern showing that, yes, time is passing, but the idea is that God is showing Israel how to pattern their work week. And when you look there in chapter 2 at verse 3, you get that idea that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then later on, we know that Israel took the Sabbath very, very seriously. Some people have said, some, some rabbis have said that their faith is the Sabbath. So, three ideas, three different ways of looking at how long are the days, but what is the point? What is the point of all of this passage? And this is another reason I lean towards analogical. The, the point of all of this that, that we read and even the stuff we skipped, the point is that time isn't the point. Time is, is not the point in here. How long are the days? What is the point? The point is that we would begin to get across this idea. This idea here. Look at your box and look what is in your box. And let me ask you this. Based on this and based on what, what you read in Genesis 1, who created the universe and all of its inhabitants? God. God alone created the universe and all of its inhabitants. This is the first point that we should get from this passage. God alone created the universe and all of its inhabitants. And now this story is patterned to kind of show this creation. The first three days, um, Collins and some other people point this out, the first three days God's creating the locations. Or like a friend of mine said, God, God's making the buckets first, okay? He's making the buckets on the first three days, the locations on the first three days, and then on the next three days, he fills them with their inhabitants. He fills the buckets, so to speak. And then on the seventh day, there's rest and enjoyment. As we are going through this, though, these days are showing something called merisms. You read about these merisms. Merisms are two opposite parts that express the whole. And so Guy Richard puts it this way. He says, we do the same thing regularly in our marriage vows when we pledge to love one another for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. How many of you heard that before? Our pledge is not, for the two, not just for the two extremes, but everything in between. And then he goes on and he says, we are using two contrasting words to express totality. So in other words, we're promising to love each other all the time, regardless of the circumstances. And when the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, it's saying that God created the heavens and the earth and all of the things in the middle. And, and, and that's the totality. So this is showing the first thing we should see in here, God's creating light and dark. God's creating sea and sky. God, God is creating these things and everything in between. God alone is the creator of the universe and all of these things in it. The second thing we should get from this, 
is this. So look at your box again. Tell me, what other gods are out here? Is Krishna out there? You know, um, Mormons, you know, they, they would say God is one of many gods, and this is one of many universes that he happened to be kind of like the, you know, the, the project lead on, right? So you would put those out here. No. God alone. God alone is God. God alone created the universe and its inhabitants, which means that God alone is God and we are not if you don't get that when you read the first book of Genesis, go back, read it again, because this is what would be clear in the mind of Israel. Ancient cultures, and some of them still, will say that there is a sun god, there's a moon god, there's a grass god, you know, there's a party god, you know, like you, you name it, and there's a god for it. And so there's this plurality of gods, and a lot of times when you look at their creation stories, it's this struggle, and they're fighting against each other, and then boom, one of them wins out, or maybe a group of them win out, and and they get to be the gods because they won this struggle. There is no struggle. God alone is God. Gordon Wynnum puts it this way. He said, God is without peer and competitor. He does not have to establish his power in struggle with other members of a polytheistic pantheon. The sun and moon are his handiwork. That's huge in this passage. He created them. And he kind of gives them little pet names in the Hebrew. His word is supreme. A simple fiat, he speaks, it's done. Word and deed show his omnipotence. God alone is God and we are not. Now, I don't know how many of you have been walking around Amarillo and thought, well, I don't really see a little shrine to the sun god anywhere. You probably find him. Um, but, uh, so we look at that and think, okay, yeah, I get it. There's not a sun god, there's not a moon god, there's not whatever. And, and so we think that's obvious. But here's the thing. We actually don't believe that a lot of times, do we? We, we? we oftentimes don't believe that God alone is God and we are not. We make our own gods. And now in, in our culture, we've largely shifted what those things are. And so we'll do like, you know, they call it moralistic therapeutic deism. I'm sorry, kids. That's a big, long word. But it's basically this idea, um, if I do good, then God will give me good things. And if I do bad, then God will give me bad things. And it's this idea that if I can just change my behavior, then I'll please this thing in the sky and life will be good, right? That's a false God. That's not the God that we read about in Genesis. We do other things. Success, sports, reputation, safety, comfort, the easy life, the good life. We can take good things and we can make them our God. And, and here is how you know if you've done that. If you think about your life and you say, I can't live without this. If I ever lost, then what's the point? Right? That's how you know. Something that you have elevated, something that you have put into that place. But God alone is God, and we are not. And we, we chase all these other things. We try and find them. And I love the way Keller puts it. He says, one of the main reasons that we trust God too little is because we trust our own wisdom too much. We think we know far better than God how our lives should go and what will make us happy. Amen. I do it. I am not God. 
You are not God. The good life is not God. God alone is God, and he knows what will make us happy, and it's him. You're going to hear this verse over and over and over because I want all of us to have this in our heads. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When success runs, you lose the championship, the family abandons you, whatever it is, guess what? They're not God. You will find pleasure, you will find fulfillment, you will find the thing that you need with him. Okay, last thing, and I'm going to try and get through this quickly, I'm sorry. You are not God, but you matter to him. That's the third thing that we should get out of this. You are not God, but you matter to him. Day six, the one that I read, is the longest narration in this entire thing. And then we hit verse 27, and it bursts into actual poetry. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Poetry, like, like if you're on Highway 64 and, and you're headed west, and you're going, and then you kind of start doing these curves, and then you come around one curve, and then boom, there are the mountains. And there's, there's the lake, and there's Eagle Nest. And, and it's just, oh my gosh, look at this beauty. My goodness, it's this response in Scripture. When God creates man, and he looks, and he says, you matter. You're important to me. And in poetry, he bursts forth in that. And then he gives a blessing in verse 28. He gives a commissioning and a purpose for mankind. And then he ends looking at all he's made and says, and it was very good. And now we're going to get to what went wrong later on, but not today. It's the high point of the passage. And the point of it all is that even though you aren't God, you matter to him. You matter to him more than you can know. More than you can know. That's what we saw in Psalm 8. It is the psalmist reflecting on this, looking at creation, looking at saying how small I am. But God, you are mindful of me. You matter to God. And this, this is actually the antidote to a heart that's troubled by points one and two. If it bothers you that God alone is a creator, if it bothers you that God is God, he gets to decide. He can do what he wants. He can do it how he wants. And, and, and I'm not God. If that bothers you, the more you dwell on this one, the more it begins to speak to that, to say, I'm not the creator. These, these gods of culture are weak. They're fickle. But even though I'm small, I matter to this God who created it all. It's the antidote. You matter to him so much that he sent his own son to take your place on the cross, to defeat the power of sin and death so that one day, one day we might live with him. God alone created the universe, its inhabitants. God alone is God and you are not God, but guess what? You matter to him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, you are the creator of all of this around us, and you are good. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you that we matter to you. I pray that you would just make that truth so clear and so real to everyone here and to those watching at home, or that we matter to the God of the universe so much that you sent your Son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand as we sing together?